The Boise Bubble Podcast is brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios and Speak Boise. Speak Boise is a community-driven studio space where voices from all walks of life can speak and be heard. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Speak Studios, Speak Boise, and at their website, speakstudios.com. Speak Studios, speak and be heard. The Boise Bubble Podcast is sponsored by Volkswagen of Boise. We recently had the opportunity to head up to the McCall area in the brand new Atlas Crossport. Shane has been seriously crushing pretty hard on this car, and we wanted to take it up to see what it was all about. You guys, we knew the Atlas was a beauty, but it performed impeccably in the snow, and we definitely hit some serious rough Idaho roads. Not only that, our family of five fits so comfortably, along with all of the massive gear that we brought up for our winter fun. If you're looking for a great experience buying a car in the Boise area, we cannot recommend Volkswagen of Boise enough. From the Atlas to the Jetta, Volkswagen of Boise has been providing some of the best service in the Treasure Valley since 2009. We've worked with them several times and we're always amazed at their friendly and no pressure way of doing business. Super excited to have Volkswagen of Boise sponsoring the Boise Bubble Podcast. This is the Boise Bubble Podcast, where we talk all things Treasure Valley. We're your hosts, Shane and Natalie Plummer. Welcome back to the conversation. Welcome back, everybody, to the podcast. Natalie, good morning. Good morning. It's a beautiful day outside. When I was driving here from Meridian, I love the foothills. I especially love the foothills in the, the snow. How about you? Do you guys love the foothills in the snow? <laughs> yes. It's, yeah. Um, this time of year, it's so beautiful. Winter in Idaho is maybe my favorite season. Really? Mm-hmm. Winter for me and our guest today is a little bit trying, I think. It's like, <laughs> yes, it is. when can we get back out? Anywho, let's set the context for the conversation today. Um, we wanted to talk about common ground. One of the main reasons that we hear uh, people coming to Idaho is a love of the outdoors and access to it. So the purpose for the conversation today is to talk about what makes them so special, why we love them, um, talk about how to enjoy them responsibly and maybe give some tips as to how newcomers might be able to enjoy them uh, more effectively out of the gate. How's that sound? Sounds like a plan. So like thank you. I wanted to introduce our guest today. Welcome, Tyler Sisson. Yeah, thank you. Excited to be here. Nervous. Dude, so excited to have you. This is This conversation is play for me. It's not at all work. Because we're talking about something that we love and that we honestly, this is what we talk about most days, or at least start the day off talking about. No, that's things. not true. We work, 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 mm -hmm. work, work. We never talk about fun stuff. Jeez. <laughs> well, um, I thought about giving you an, an introduction, but I thought that it would be maybe more authentic to talk about how we, we became friends. So Tyler and I know each other from work. We work together uh, in the same group. And, um, but how would you describe how we found common ground? Well, the beard. I mean, you have you have just an awesome beard. Man, I was about to compliment you on your oh, beard. No, are we going yeah. down? Great beard, okay. beard brother. We, we better stop. This will get carried away. <laughs> they do. Uh, you know what? I'm going to post a picture on uh, on our Instagram page, um, the Boise Bubble, so you guys can see what they're talking about. They do have phenomenal beards. Idaho has a beard culture, and we need to do a whole podcast on that. But you guys do have some legit beards. We interview together often. And uh, when we both walk in, I can't tell you how many times we've heard the comment of like people looking at us and the two beards. And what are some of the comments? Uh, yeah, the, the bearded brothers. Um, Do you have to have a beard to work here? Yeah, <laughs> it gets a little strange sometimes. Although we had a lady that gave a, um, oh, you weren't in there whenever we talked to an individual this week, but she really gave me good props on my beard. I felt great about it. She said that she saw it on LinkedIn. Oh yeah? said I was excited to meet the mustache. I thought, ooh, nobody had ever said it like that. Really? Maybe I hear it all bit. the time because on my, I'm a social media influencer and I just very rarely show Shane on my page just starting. And every time I just am bombarded by what kind of products does that guy use or who does his beard or, oh, my word, that's the best beard I've ever seen. Which, you know, it's kind of a little it's a little trophy for me. I like it. Anywho, enough about my beard. <laughs> Thank you for your kind words. Mm -hmm. And to the community for your kind words, too. <laughs> Back to how we know each other. Yeah. Um, I don't ever want to say that I targeted you, but uh, I kind of did. Um, you know, what we're talking about today is, is why people love Idaho and specifically the mountains. For me, um, it's something that's so important to me. Uh, to keep it the way it is, and that's pristine and beautiful. Um, but there's a lot of people moving here, um, and it 
you know, in the back of my mind, I thought we need people that are ambassadors of the mountains. So I kind of looked around and thought, well, you know, who could be the ambassador? Who could I target? Uh, someone that's influential, someone that already has a little bit of a, you know, kind of a foot in the door with backpacking maybe, um, and someone that, that's just really passionate about the things that they get into. And I didn't know you very well at the time, but, uh, you know, as we started working together, um, got to know you fairly quickly, and I thought, Shane, Shane's the guy. Shane's the ambassador that I'm going to target. So, uh, you know, basically picked you uh, and then one of my one of my other... You make friends. it sound kind of stalkery. <laughs> I know. Creepy, well, you know, uh, he's my target. I, my mind works a certain way, and, uh, yeah, I can't say that it didn't work, Shane. Uh, true. Uh, true. So, yeah, oh, wow. I, I thought Shane Shane's the guy that I want to invest some time in, and... Um, you're fun to be around anyway, so it was a pretty low investment for me. So My background in the mountains is uh, when I came to, to Idaho, I had been in Boy Scouts growing up, and we'd always gone on campouts and had fun. But um, And then even as a kid uh, growing up in northwest Arkansas, a rural tiny town, we would just, every Saturday, we'd be out and about uh, running up, following the train tracks, you intersect with the stream, you follow the stream, you see some bluffs, you climb those bluffs, and just always just being outside. But as I became an adult and you start having a job and kids, I wasn't spending a lot of time outdoors. And in fact, even in when we were living in Chattanooga, I don't remember like spending a lot of camping time outside. It wasn't until we got here that I thought, you know, I got to get out and enjoy some of the, this more. There's something about the Western mountains that is unique. You came from the East, Tell Natalie and the, the crew who's listening a little bit about your background. Yeah, and I the grew terrain up, specifically. Yeah, that's a different. Uh, I grew up in upstate New York, um, the area that you know geography of where I'm from. It's glacial carved valleys, um, so what you know we all kind of call rolling hills. Um, so there's a lot of really long valleys as the glacial moves. You know, it carves out this really awesome valley. Um, so I grew up at the end of a, a dead end road on a dairy farm. Uh, for my early childhood, and then we moved up up, up into the hills there. Um, but I had free run of the place. So kind of like Shane was saying, if, if you're at the end of a dead-end road, there's no traffic to worry about. Um, you know, my parents were busy. You know, they trusted us. And for better or worse, uh, it, it was an awesome childhood. I, I just followed the dogs around and uh, just explored, really. Um, I feel like I was raised by the woods. Um, <laughs> so I've, I've always had a natural... Um, tendency to, to escape to the woods. Um, yeah, just had a and, lot of freedom. And you made it to Idaho by way of the Air Force, correct? Yeah, my last assignment was in Mountain Home. Um, I fell victim to what all airmen fall victim to, the, the name Mountain Home. Uh, when you put it, on your, <laughs> uh, put it on my dream sheet, right, coming from Alaska, I thought, ooh, that sounds awesome. I want to go to the mountains. And I'll never forget driving into Mountain Home uh, you know, we were probably 40 miles out and we saw a sign along the highway. My dad was asleep on the U-Haul next to me and uh, I saw a sign. I started getting kind of excited, like, oh, we're getting really close. I'm like, I should be able to see the mountains. <laughs> Looking around. Anytime now. Nothing. Anytime. Desert. <laughs> tumbleweeds and desert. And I thought, they tricked me. <laughs> <laughs> False advertising. Yeah, I was not Mountain happy. home is wonderful, but it's not the mountains. Yeah, it's it's not what you envision when you put mountain home on your mm -hmm. dream sheet. Uh, and I was, was pretty upset for the first uh, four or six months after I got here because uh, I didn't really take it upon myself to go out and find the mountains that they were talked about. So, mm. yeah. And they're not too far away. In fact, I think that you embedded yourself in them once you broke away from the Air Force Base. Absolutely. I, even before that, um, right after I had I had knee surgery shortly after arriving in Idaho, um, and that was my first real physical therapy, was actually going up in, in the Dan Skins and just climbing around with a cane. Uh, and, you know, I, I fell in love with it, and I've never left. never will. Mm, it's awesome. My mom tells the story about uh, when she was younger, the first time that she went up into uh, the Rocky Mountains. It just She said that it changed her. She had a very personal, spiritual experience seeing the grandeur of the mountains. My brother, Neil, um, he came out uh, to experience them over the past couple of years. And, and in fact, he, was in he lived in Colorado for a couple of years too, but he tells about it the same way. Coming from Arkansas and living in the Ozarks, same thing, rolling hills. You don't see tall peaks or vast valleys it's just everything is so wooded you just can't see all that far sometimes but out here you get to the right vantage point and you can see for days 
it's beautiful. Something about the scale and the scope is unique that when you see it for the first time, when you're up in it, it's, yeah, it's kind of a spiritual experience. I would agree. Yeah. So my background was in camping and backpacking. In fact, going out on doing some solo trips by myself, much to my wife's dismay, sometimes uh, going out for a weekend at a time with nobody, just uh, my, me and my backpack. Yeah, it wasn't my favorite. But I think that that's how we connected <laughs> is talking about it. I remember talking to people in the office and um, I guess I've been here for several years, but hunting is just this natural culture. Uh, a lot of people are getting up there. And in fact, during the fall, it's almost one of those jokes that in the office, it's kind of like summertime. <laughs> people are just always gone and just people expect other people to be gone too. So don't expect much to get done uh, during September, or October, or November, because everybody's going to be gone. Yeah, kind of a skeleton crew around there. But I didn't really get it until I think talking to you and then talking to other people through you, um, through those connections. When you start talking to people who love hunting, for me, it was the stories and the reasons. Um, it's you expect people to uh, like have the cliche motivations of like a trophy or you're doing it for sport, but people shared some amazing stories of personal discovery. And then in our conversations, your passion for it had very little to do with hunting. It was just, I felt like there were these underlying principles that were at work and hunting was just the manifestation of some common, common passion for the outdoors. Yeah. I think for me, I'm, I'm a competitive person and I get, I get a lot of that energy out through traditional sports, or at least I did growing up. It was really easy to do that kind of stuff. Um, but there was always hunting for me. I was, I was drawn to it um, from a very young age. My dad didn't hunt. I didn't really have much in the way of, of mentorship, you know, a, a traditional mentor. Um, but they were supportive of it. They were really happy to, to drive me all over the state and, and drop me off. And, um, but, you know, I, I really kind of got to teach myself how to hunt. Um, so that's always been there for me. And I find that there's, there's an opportunity to be in the mountains and experience it, um, you know, on, on the regular trails and whatnot. And then there's another level and hunting provides that additional level. It really gives me purpose for being out there. Um, you know, whether I get something or not, I'm, I'm out there exploring different areas that I wouldn't otherwise go explore. I mean, trails follow the path of least resistance the animals don't always end up being at the end of the trail. Um, so, you know, you, you find yourself as a hunter, you know, in, in the most ridiculous situations, uh, in places that are really difficult to get in or out of. But if you stop and look around, they're just so beautiful. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the ultimate reward is places that I wouldn't, wouldn't have otherwise gone to had I not been for, um, you know, having the pursuit of hunting. Well, that's interesting when you say it like that, that clicks within me because I think that is absolutely true. And I know that this conversation, this conversation isn't necessarily about hunting, but um, it's a mechanism wherein we have seen some amazing terrain. Some of the most beautiful places that I've seen in Idaho have been, you know, on the trail with the purpose of, uh, you know, hunting or exploring or scouting or something. But uh, there's some amazing places out there that the trails have taken us that or a little bit off the beaten path. But before we go down that route, what makes Idaho special? When you think of Idaho and um, public lands, why is this place unique to other adjacent states who also have beautiful mountains? Yeah, I mean, it's the public lands um, and the people. I mean, we, we talk about it at work all the time. Just the people here in Idaho, they're just special. The people that are moving here, they're moving here for the right reasons. I mean, we, you, you guys talked about it on your last podcast. Um, that's what truly keeps me here is the public lands, the access to it, the, just knowing that it's out there, that if I wanted to drop everything today and go out there, I could find something just, just truly beautiful. And the people that I run into out there for the most part, they're awesome people, the people that I'd want to spend time with and share those mountains with. So yeah, that's what makes it special for me. Um, let's talk a little bit about geography in some of these areas so that people can, if they wanted to look at a map, they can understand. We spend a lot of time in, um, well, in talking in terms of game units, game management units. Unit 39 is where we're at right now. But as far as the mountains, you mentioned the da the Danskins. Where are the Danskins? Yeah, I'd say as far as regions go, they're in the southwest part of the state. Mm -hmm. um, you know, usually we, we kind of break up the state in three chunks, the southwest, southeast, and then kind of up in the panhandle area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this area close to Boise, we've got, uh, tell us a little bit about the national forest. Do you recall the names of kind of where we're at and, 
as we get up into unit 39, move in Eastern towards, you know, the center part of the state, where are we traversing? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're in the, the Boise national forest, um, here in the immediate area, um, really close by are the sawtooth mountains. Uh, so the sawtooth national forest, um, we have so many different national forests within a really close drive of us. That's what's another awesome thing is it's so easy to get into some of these areas. So you've got different types of topography in different national forests. Um, usually, you know, national forests will be on um, like U.S. Forest Service pro property, and then you'll have BLM. So we think usually when you think of BLM, you think out of the desert, which for the most part, that's true. But the BLM also has um, lands that are up in the mountains as well. Mm -hmm. So you've got a number of different uh, quote unquote property owners uh, that are all either state or federal or uh, sometimes a mixture of both kind of sprinkled in amongst each other. Mm -hmm. uh, so many areas as you keep moving east, you've got the White Clouds uh, going up into McCall. You've got the Payette National Forest. Uh, we're just, you're right, we're surrounded by it. And even as you go, um, one of my favorite places to go is southeast past Marsing. There's this place south of the Owyhees where the geography becomes fascinatingly uh, almost like southern Utah in some of the sandstone um, geology. It's awesome to see. There's such a variety here in Idaho. I, I know that we live in the high valley or the high desert, but um, it doesn't take long before you're in such a diverse set of uh, geographies. Yeah. I think we're name dropping a bunch of places. Your, your listeners are probably scrambling to write down all these places. <laughs> Boy, that's a struggle. Let's talk about that for a quick second. There's so much that we could promote and sing the praises of, but what are the struggles that we're dealing with, whether we're out there hunting or whether we're out there camping? How would you summarize our current challenges? Yeah, you struck a nerve there, Shane. <laughs> um, I, I was hesitant to do this. Um, you know, to be on a podcast and to talk about the mountains and what it is that makes Idaho great. I'm a little bit apprehensive. Um, the mountains, from my opinion, are something that need to be truly cherished and respected. And I don't always see that. I, I wish I could say that we're different, but um, with more and more people coming here, I see, you know, more, more things going on that I don't necessarily appreciate. So, so the outcome that you want to avoid is what? Um, well, I, I don't really like rules. Um, so I, I really don't want to see more regulation imposed upon the people around here that visit our mountains. But if we don't take care of the mountains, if we mistreat them, that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, I worked for the forest service for a couple of summers and, you know, one of our jobs, you, you wander around and, you know, visit various campsites and you clean up the mess that was left. Um, and it used to not be that big of a deal, but here in the last few years, uh, I've just seen so much more of it in, you know, roadside litter and uh, people that aren't being responsible with their campfires or cleaning up after their pets, um, off-roading. There's there's a lot of things that can really do damage to our public lands. Um, you know, irreparable damage is one thing, but also just that, you know, consistent um, kind of the annoying stuff, the litter, right? Someone has to go clean that stuff up. Um, if we start seeing too much of that, things are going to get closed down. And that's what I... That's what I want to avoid. Yeah. I think so what we're hearing is a lack of just a lack of respect that's kind of developing that you hasn't been there before. Or um, what do you think the tipping point was for that? Yeah. And I don't know that it's necessarily a lack of respect. Maybe it's a lack of awareness or a lack of knowledge, right? Of, um, of people's responsibilities. To yes. Them. Some some folks, you know, that maybe didn't grow up around here or didn't um, come to appreciate it the way that the rest of us maybe have. Yeah. Maybe they just don't know. Um, maybe they come from an environment where that kind of stuff is acceptable. It's just the norm. Um, so I, I don't ever want to assume what what someone's intentions are. Um, but I think education is the, the best thing that we could accomplish today is um, you know, trying to avoid people maybe mistreating the lands. And, and I agree that there's not a lot of education um, when it comes to how to enjoy and how to preserve the outdoors. Uh, we all love it. And we say that we love it. And we want to get out there. And we want everybody to be able to, to share it. But it feels like there's not a lot of um, easily consumable um, resources that you can understand. Well, what does that mean? Because it doesn't take long before uh, the conversation can get a little bit heated as far as my rights and how I should be able to enjoy the outdoors. But there's just not good education. And hence, one of our conversations today, we want to talk about what are some best practices that we can do to enjoy it, to keep the regulation down and to maximize the experience whenever we are there. One of the things that I struggle with, you talked about your apprehension. I think about just sharing, right? It's traffic. 
it's an issue of traffic that we talked about it last time, but with the huge influx of people that are coming into the valley, everybody wants to get out there. And I do not blame them. I think that it's awesome. I've had ama- amazing experiences out there and they, they're going to have some awesome experiences too. But it's harder whenever you pull up to a trailhead where three years ago you might see one other car and now the it's just packed out all the time. Yeah, I would agree. I think that that is my biggest apprehension is by talking about it. You get people excited about it and and I like to help and I like to show people this awesome state. Um, I don't want to give them away all my spots, but half the adventure, you know, I've talked about it is is finding your own spots. That's there's so much satisfaction out of doing your own research and, you know, scouting out so many different opportunities and maybe we go here, maybe we go there. Well, this spot has this or this has this beautiful attraction. Uh, you know, this is too far of a hike or that's just right. But figuring that out as a family and then going out and, and actually experiencing it, that's that's awesome. There and is that's a, what I want people to do. There's a sense of ownership of having to discover these places yourself. And um, I remember that when I first started, it's 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 hard if you don't have a mentor, if you don't have somebody to kind of show you around or to talk some of these higher level questions through. Um, but it can be intimidating. Where do I go? How do I start? Um, and it's great to get a little bit of help. And I think that that's something that we can offer people. Here's some tips for getting started. But I'm very hesitant to start talking about too many specific places, even if it's the most beautiful places that we've seen. I would love for other people to discover those, but it will mean more for them when they discover them on their own, when they have to crack open Google Maps and think, oh, I know that this train is probably going to look like this. Well, how do I get there? Um, and make your own plans because when you don't, when you do that, you own it. There is this sense of ownership. I did this. No one had to tell me. I got there on my own, and it's even more special. And then I think that with that ownership comes the sense of responsibility. How do you get there? How do you leave it good for the next people, or leave it better for the next people? Yeah. So. Yeah, I think we should touch on safety a little bit too. Yeah. Um, so maybe we structure that portion of the conversation around some tips. How, do, how does a new person get started? You're new to the valley, uh, or maybe you're not really accustomed to the outdoors. You don't have a lot of experience there, but you've heard everybody else talking about it. What are some basic resources that we can point people towards to empower them? Yeah, I think um, if I'm trying to put myself in, in the listener's seats, maybe being new to the area, maybe not having experienced this type of stuff before, there's probably a lot of intimidation. You know, where do I start? And I don't want to get myself in over my head and... You know, I just don't know. I don't know where to start. Um, I think, you know, locally, right out our back door here in the foothills, there's some great hikes. Like, there's a lot of really cool hikes that are really close to us, you know, mm-hmm. within the Treasure Valley. Um, and maybe you're not much of a hiker. There's actually a lot of really cool day drives. You know, Idaho has, I don't know how many scenic byways that are actually just, you know, a great way to spend a half day or a full day just driving and seeing just some beautiful scenery. So I think both of those are some really low cost, um, you know, point of entries for people that are just starting out. What was the website that you had told me about the uh, Idaho Historic Scenic Byways? Yeah. So if you want to do some driving here um, and they again, they they split it up between regions. It's uh, West and Central region, East region and then Panhandle region is how they split it up. Uh, So the website is visitidaho.org and it's awesome. They give you like a color coded map that's really easy to follow depending on what type of adventure you want to have. Um, so that's, that's a great way to start. Mm. Yeah. And probably less intimidating too, to be able to tackle it from your car as opposed to tackle it on foot. Yeah. And I would say, um, you know, if, if you're going to do that, make sure you plan a really cool place to have lunch, right? A, a place that you could get out and even just do a short hike, just, just get out and stretch the legs and just see a little bit further than from the road. Yeah. What are some basic, um, once you branch out beyond the car, and I think that that's an awesome place to start and so many options for wonderful things to see. And uh, you can cover a lot more ground, I think, obviously in a vehicle. But uh, if you do want to start discovering it by foot, what are some basic high level things that people need to be aware of or come prepared with? Um, I think you should really consider your own physical limitations. Don't, don't get yourself into a hike that's going to require, you know, a a giant loop hike. If you're not prepared to do that physically, um, I think just a simple out and back is a great place to start because if you start to get tired, you simply turn around and go back. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I think, um, you know, as far as like true safety concerns go, let's talk before we talk safety, some basic gear. Oh. I've got to say footwear for sure. You've got to have some, and I'm not saying that you have to spend a lot of money on, on, uh, boots or fancy hunting boots, but, um, I did take my mom from Arkansas who came up last year, uh, on a three quarter mile hike, which I thought, ah, oh, that'll be easy. It was pretty steep terrain and it was during the summer and it was a little bit dusty and very rocky. And she had worn these slides and I thought, Ooh, and I can't tell you how many places that I've seen with people wearing really, uh, hard footwear, just basic tennis shoes and they struggle and it takes away from the experience. So I would say get some, get, get some starter hiking boots. Yeah. Um, it'd be great to have a little bit of ankle support and some good tread. I mean, those are two basic minimums. Yeah. Um, I'd say a simple day pack. You don't have to do anything fancy to pack some water, especially if you're starting out back to physical fitness, I'd say start small. You have to start building up your ability to enjoy some of these, these, uh, wonderful places. Cause some of the best places they require a lot of work to get to. And the trails are not, uh, they're not meant for the weary, but it's not something that you tackle just right out of the gate either. It's a good idea to kind of pace yourself. So does and that website that you were talking about, does that also direct people to particular uh, hikes in the foothills? Or how do you guys think you should explore those kind of things? Because like for me, I'm not a big hiker. And you're like, you should go hike in the foothills. I don't even know what that means. Mm-hmm. I would say that um, I'm hesitant to, again, the hesitation about mm-hmm. sharing specific places, but well, I guess let's where share would I have places. the res- where would I go for the research? Um, I guess or where where do you go? Uh, I think that it doesn't take much to Google Idaho trails. Um, in fact, there might be a website called Idaho Trails or All Trails. I think is one of them. Um, it doesn't take a lot of uh, investigatory prowess to be able to find some basic resources. But I would say Camelback, like Camelback, is a It's a common place. Everybody knows it, but it is a great starting point. You can see the foothills. You're in the very bottom of them. Um, It's pretty accessible. It's pretty busy. It's already busy now, but if I were to start somewhere, I'd start there or the obvious one, the Table Rock sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. Take a little quick uh, trip with your family up to Table Rock. Okay. Yeah. What else uh, sticks out to you for some easy starter spots? Can we back up? Yes. Can we ask a favor of your listeners? before we uh, send them to some of these places? I'm a fan of the call to action. Yes. Um, I think it's really important to develop an early mindset of never just simply taking from the mountains. I feel like we should all be um, owners of the mountains, right? So like your um, previous podcast, you talked about owning um, versus renting, Mm -hmm. right? An owner is never going to litter in their own mountains. So if I could ask the listeners to just please be just incredibly respectful of, of the mountains and of the experience for others, um, you know, so that starts with parking. Don't park like a jerk. Please, please don't double park people in. Um, you know, it might require a little bit more, more, more walking. And then just, you know, not littering, um, keeping control of your dogs. The last thing we need is more leash laws. But if there's a leashed area that you park, that you decide to hike in, have your dog on a leash, control them, clean up after them, um, stay on the trails. We cannot afford more trail erosion. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Around Could here. you go into that a little bit more? What does that mean to stay on the trails? Because obviously you guys explore for going into hunting, but we're talking about, um, I guess, established trails. When we stay on, the, why is it important to stay on the trails when you're when you're out? Um, so it's, it's really truly erosion is my understanding. That's the biggest concern that we have. Uh, we don't necessarily get a lot of rain around here. Um, but when we do get rain, the soils can't support a lot of foot traffic, um, in areas that aren't already established. So when we do get rain, you know, it's, it's very steep around here. The rain has to go downhill and takes the path of least resistance. Well, that's in the trail. If we start creating little miniature trails that branch off from the main trail, now we've got, you know, another trough of water to follow uh, that path. So that's that's the big danger. And that's ultimately what gets areas shut down is trail erosion uh, caused by people, you know, maybe not necessarily staying on the established uh, path. Yeah. Um, Can I interject just one thing? It's interesting as you talk about that because, um, you know, we talk about ownership with Idaho. But when I think about our mountains, I feel like while yes, we have an ownership of of living here, that we are invited to enjoy them, that this is something old 
This is something that is going to, uh, we want to be there for future generations and that we come as a visitor to them. We come into nature's home. Um, and I think as the generations that we're part of and that are kind of arising, we have an ownership that is almost more taking, that this is for me to use. Um, I will use it in the way I want to, and that is, is, can be very destructive. Um, when we go up there, there is a respect for the majesty that's there, um, and that's the only thing that is going to keep it intact. Yeah. Uh, you raise a great point because I think about um, everybody, there's this tendency to say, I do what I want and no one's going to tell me I have a right to do <laughs> this thing in my own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's true in some areas, but when it comes to the outdoors and I think about the purpose of why they establish, establish public lands, it is for the benefit and the enjoyment of the public, of the masses at large. But part, there's this unspoken agreement that you can't just do that any way that you want. You have to do it with certain parameters and with certain underlying principles. And so I don't want to tell anybody how to enjoy the mountains, but I think that there are ways to enjoy the mountains that are beneficial and make it easier for everybody. And then there are ways that uh, lead to more destructive paths and then more regulation to cut us out. And um, one of the things that I always think about is staying on trails for one, and then music what's what are your feelings on music in in the outdoors oh man (laughs) um well earbuds are a great thing Mm -hmm. um i actually on the way here there was a guy that pulled up next to a red light and he had his bass going and it was making my seat vibrate and i thought that is so obnoxious (laughs) um no i i don't know i mean i i go out to the mountains to enjoy the peace and quiet and to hear the natural sounds um, you know, that's the experience that I'm looking for. I, re- I recognize that not everyone's after that experience, but, um, you know, you can play your music in your car or in your home, um, you know, walking maybe down the green belt might be a little bit more appropriate place for that, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, when you talk about the mountains, the words, some of the words that I've heard you say are, you know, respect, but also reverence. Um, that's not a word that we use a lot. I think it just in general conversation, but when you when you go to the mountains for a place of healing, connection, uh, and that should be available to everyone. Sometimes um, there are there are just respectful ways to be, to understand that everybody's there for their own purposes and to allow them, I guess, that, that journey in the mountains. I, I can't speak for everybody and how they experience really moving things, but for me, some of the most transformational moments that I've had up in the mountains have been, you know, looking at a sunset or looking at this amazing valley or um, a lake or some animals moving in their majesty. And it's these awesome things that I think I, there's something about the natural, the natural state of things that is part of that. And so I'm hesitant to take unnatural things there. Like there's something about a radio or when you hear someone else's music in this place where you, you go to it expecting to hear the sounds of nature but then you hear the sounds of technology that it feels incongruous to me that it doesn't quite match up. It's like, we're out here for a purpose. Is this leaning towards the purpose or is it taking away from the purpose? Yeah. Yeah. No, I guess for me, music doesn't bother me that much. I don't typically hear that very often. It's generators when we're camping. That's what just drives me bonkers to go camping. And I want to hear the stream and I want to hear the birds and and whatnot. And all I can hear is a generator. Mm. We were talking about staying on the trail uh, to prevent erosion. You're a dirt biker. It I seems am. to be a yeah. bigger issue with, with dirt bikes. Talk about staying on the trail. With, and I know the dirt bikes is a more advanced uh, level of experience. We're just talking about the beginning thing. But why would you advocate for dirt bikes staying on trails? Yeah, talk about noise pollution. Oh, my gosh. Um, well, so I think it's important for everyone to understand that um, our trail networks are divided up for specific types of uses so that depending on, you know, what you really, you know, the, the way that you want to enjoy the mountains, there's an area in Idaho or multiple areas in Idaho where you can go do your thing. If you're a horseback rider, if you're a dirt biker, if you're a hiker, there's, there's trails that are dedicated for specific uses. Um, so I like to dirt bike. I, I'm kind of an adventure guy. I really love the speed and, and I, I enjoy it, but I also recognize that they can be destructive. Um, you know, and staying on the paths that you're supposed to be on, they're not not that bad. 
Yeah. Um, but if you start tearing off into no man's land and, um, you know, riding through valleys or hill climbing or whatnot, I can't think of a better way to erode things and really do some irreparable damage to areas. And it seems like there are places in the United States where that's fine. Um, it, but we just have a different, uh, a different set of mountains and I guess rules. Cause I mean, people do that in Idaho and, or not in Idaho, in uh, Utah, sometimes like in the desert. Um, so maybe people moving here kind of have this idea of, of, uh, how you can dirt bike. In if I can do it like that in California, or if I can do it like that down in Southern Utah, surely I can ride the same way in Idaho. Yeah. And the reality is that the, the folks that manage our wildlands, um, they're the experts, right? They, they're the ones that establish what we can or what we can't do based on the biology. And I think it's important to, to be respectful of that. They're the experts. If they decide that an area can't support that type of activity, it's for a good reason. It's not just that they're keeping us out because they don't want us there. It's because the, the, that specific, um, area just, just can't, can't deal with that. What's the institution that oversees this? Are you talking about Idaho fish and game? Uh, well, that's that's one body. I mean, they're concerned about the, you know the actual animals, right, that habitate Idaho, uh, but that also includes what those animals are eating, right. So if we're out there on our four wheelers or dirt bikes or razors or whatnot, tearing up all these important uh, grass areas, um, you know, or browse areas out in the desert, I mean, it seems like if you just go tearing off in the desert that you're not hurting anything. But the reality is the desert's a pretty delicate place too. Um, so yeah, the uh, Idaho Fish and Game, that's one entity. The Forest Service, the BLM, it's its all of these different players that come together with a lot of really intelligent people that truly understand the ecosystem and, and what these things will do uh, to our ecosystems. Yeah. Um, we've kind of branched off our rabbit trail yeah, talking sorry. about some of these. Uh, no, it's been awesome. But um, go back to safety. I had uh, told you to pause on safety, but what are some best practices that you would give people as they go out? Um, it, it starts at home, right? Doing your research, knowing, uh, knowing the area that you're going to be going to, right? If it's just the foothills, it's not that big of a deal. Um, you know, beyond fitness and maybe some hydration, uh, not getting lost. Um, but you know, if you're really going to start branching out and traveling to some of these more remote places, you really need to know where you're going. Um, you know, come up with a plan, communicate that plan to somebody that's going to be staying here. That's, that's expecting you back by a certain time or day. Um, you know, there's, there's some communication involved in making sure that you, um, that you and everyone else understands what you're about to embark on and when you expect to be back. That's one of the best things that I think that, uh, our association is going to train me to, to do is that when we're getting ready to go out or I'm getting ready to go out solo, I'm a lot better about putting together a plan, even taking some snapshots of, uh, of the satellite images of where I'm going and sending it to some key people along with my itinerary. Um, if you don't hear from me by this time, then maybe send the cavalry. But um, putting out a plan, I think, is super important. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. And um, for your level, um, because it was kind of difficult for me, um, Shane goes out and he will spend some quality time in some remote places for a while. Finally, I just said, you have to get a satellite. Um, because I was so nervous all the time because we're, we're, you know, we live here in the city, everything's safe and you're going out to a completely different universe where y you are not the alpha anymore. And, um, you know, one twisted ankle up there, um, can be life and death. So for us, we just made that choice that we just needed to have a, we had to have some kind of constant communication. If you, if you choose to get to the point where you really want to spend some significant time and, uh, and discover some harder to reach places, you're going to start investing in gear and that's going to be better footwear, um, better packs, more lightweight, efficient, um, uh, uh, technology and gear to take out there. And if you're going to start putting the dollars together and much to my wife's dismay, I put some dollars into this hobby. Um, Whatever. I've been so supportive. Well, mostly <laughs> before my current hobby, anytime that I got an Amazon package, the joke would be, is that something for hunting? Is that something for camping? That's what I said. And you like. said it in exactly this voice, too. <laughs> okay, anyway. Moving on. But if you're going to do that, Tyler, you t told me, fork out the money and get a GPS. It is worth it. It's absolutely worth it. Yeah, it's. I want to back up a little bit. Natalie, I hear you. <laughs> and, and not just me. My wife hears you. I know. I've talked to your wife. Yeah. Uh, 
and just be happy that you're married to Shane uh, because I'm so much worse. <laughs> okay, real, what? Yes. Well, actually, I've seen your trophy Listen room. to what he said, wife. It could be a lot <laughs> oh worse. Gosh. No, I, I owe a lot of appreciation to my wife and my family for putting up with my antics uh, and all of my hobbies and the expense and the time. I just, uh, I should probably stop talking. I do want to get back to that. Let's circle back yeah, because that's yeah. an important um thing for partnerships to talk about. Yeah. Um, so the specific GPS that I really like is called an inReach. Uh, I believe it's by Garmin. Uh, the beauty of this is I'm sure there's people listening that don't even know what a GPS really is, what that means. Um, so a GPS is basically a device about the size of a cell phone that essentially allows you to know exactly where you're at in relation to various terrain features, right? You can you can actually mark a point on the GPS for where your truck is. So where you're not truck, where your vehicle is. Um, so where did I start my hike? And where am I now? How do I get back to that vehicle? Um, so that's a, just a very simple understanding of what a GPS is. The specific one we're talking about, the in-reach GPS, um, also allows for me to text my wife or to text you or to text others. And the most significant function of this is the SOS. So if I truly did need help to get out of the mountains, if I twisted my ankle, if I broke something, or um, let's just say that my vehicle breaks down and I'm on the end of a remote dead end road and no one's going to be driving by me for the rest of the winter, I can actually push the, the emergency get out of jail uh, free button and somebody will come get me. Oh, it's not free. It's not free. It's not free. No, it's not. <laughs> You'll be getting <laughs> a pretty significant bill after you put, push that SOS, but the bill is nothing compared to you, you, your life, right? Yeah. And you know what I love about just that we're talking about that is that I guess because I work in social media, a lot of times people think I'm going to go into the mountains and I'm going to take some great epic pictures and I'm going to take my dog with me and we're going to have this adventure, which is great and fun that, that you're doing that. But it is not a joke. The Idaho mountains are not a joke. This is not something you just show up and you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. This, there is a, res a level of respect for, um, for the preparation to get out there. And at, you know, with Shane, I'm so, all joking aside, I love what the mountains have, has done for our family and for Shane in particular. Um, it's been, I think something, and you can go on, you know, talk about this if you want, but just it's very healing. I think it's something that for your place in your life and uh, that it has been so beneficial. But I am amazed at the amount of time it takes for you to prepare correctly. And it is it's like a, it's a lifestyle. And so while you what what you see on social media is just fun and enjoyment that you need to understand what you're getting into if you're really wanting to get up into these um, into these lands. It can be fun, and uh, the risks can be low the closer to civiliz uh, civilization that we go. But once you go beyond that and you start crossing ridges and um, following some rivers. Uh, you crossing rivers. Crossing rivers. You realize very quickly that um, you're in a prehistoric place. Uh, nature doesn't care about us. Nature is indifferent, and it'll eat us if it can. And I don't want to say that to scare people, but you do have to go into it with a health, like you said, a healthy respect for the possible dangers that you might encounter. And a little bit of planning really helps. So um, I have a question of just as I'm listening, you say that you need to stay on the trails, but then you're also talking about you're going up and you're uh, exploring. How, explain the, the difference with that. Like how, how do you move from trails to, I guess, blazing um in a safe way or a respectful way. Why don't I start? And then I'd love to hear your perspective. But um, <laughs> when I started, uh, I'd say everything that I did was on a trail. I went to a, um, an Idaho Trails Association meeting once. Great organization, by the way, for trail maintenance and uh, conservation and preserving the outdoors and the access to it. But they had shared some statistics, and I'll probably botch them. Um, but Idaho has something like 27,000 miles worth of trails of which only about 7,000 are maintained on a regular basis. That's a lot of trails. Someone along the way has blazed 20-something thousand miles of trail. Um, that's awesome. So there are a lot of places to go that um, if you're on a trail, you'll be able to see a lot. It's only rarely, um, particularly with hunting, I think, that I find myself getting off trail. And then you've got to approach it a little bit differently. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I look at it kind of... Um, in proximity to a major metropolitan area, 
if I'm near Boise, anywhere near Boise, within, you know, an hour drive of Boise, if I'm going to set out on a trail, I probably won't leave the trail. Um, you know, once I get further off the beaten path and there's less use on that specific trail, um, I feel more comfortable, you know, taking the trail in a little ways. Um, and once I get to the point where I, I doubt that anyone's going to follow my tracks, then I'll, I'm more comfortable getting off the trail because if it's just my boot prints, it's probably not going to be an erosion issue. If there's 300 people after me that follow my boot prints, that's a problem. That's when we really start to have erosion concerns. So I think you just have to think about it in those terms of who's going to follow me. If I do this, am I going to create a new trail? If there's low risk of that, I'm not concerned about it. I see. Mm. And I'll, and a lot of times you're following like kind of because you're scouting a lot of the time. So you're kind of following the animals and just kind of following where they're where you're seeing them go. There are tons of game uh, game trails. I utilize game trails probably this past year more than I ever had before. But um, when you're in some of these major corridors where the animals uh, migrate from their summer grounds to their wintering grounds, you can get on some pretty established trails. In fact, so many times I've thought, I cannot believe that this is not a man-made trail. That's a good way to get lost. Mm. Uh, if, if, if you don't expect there to be a fork in the trail and suddenly you encounter a fork in the trail... Look at your GPS and make sure that that's not a game trail before you just say, oh, I'm going to turn left. Uh, <laughs> before you know it, that game trail peters out and, you know, you are truly out in the middle of nowhere lost. Now you want to get back to your main trail. You take shortcuts. There's no such thing as a shortcut. Backtrack. Get back to the trail the way you came. Uh, that, that's a great way to get turned around and lost in the mountains. Another great case for having a GPS. For any of us who have been lost in the mountains, it's it's a harrowing experience mentally. Um trying to keep calm and get your coordinates and your bearings and find your way back out. If you, and I'm just referencing back to times before I was smart enough to have a GPS. Um, it could be scary. So get one They're They're super affordable and they're getting more and more affordable. The more time goes, goes on. I wouldn't say affordable, <laughs> but I would say in the, in the grand scheme of things, if you move to Idaho because you want to enjoy the mountains, you want to enjoy what Idaho has to offer. If you've uprooted your entire family to move here, think about the significant expense and the stress that you've gone through. Is a $350 GPS a big expense in the grand scheme of things? Especially when you talk about, could it save my life or my family's life? No. When you start thinking about it that way, it's not a, not a big expense, but uh, definitely worth having. Absolutely. Um Let's talk a little bit about action. For those of us who want to preserve it or um, if we're new to the uh, to the outdoors, what are some things that people can do to take action? Um, well, it's dollars and time. Um, there's so many different organizations that we have here locally that if you contribute dollars to those organizations, you know that the money's coming back to Idaho, right, to maintain these trails of the 27,000 miles of trail or whatever it was. Um, you know, it, it takes money and it takes time to maintain all those trails. So I guess what's important to me is understanding, like, for all of the listeners, rather than just taking from the mountains, just consider like, is it worth my money and my time to become a member of a you know one organization of an, or another, where my membership dollars will you know enhance the experience for everyone to come after me? Are you a member of any particular organization? Um, I'm a member of a bunch of different organizations. A lot of mine are more hunting specific. Um, you know. The reality is that hunting dollars are the biggest contributor towards conservation, um, you know, which includes some trail maintenance. Um, what does that mean, though? Your dollars toward like hunting licenses or what is it that is going back? It's it's a bunch of different things. Um, so it, it could be something as simple as camouflage clothing that I buy. Right. If it's camouflage it's probably not for wearing to the mall, right? It's it's specific to hunting. Um, that type of gear, camouflage clothing, guns, that type of stuff, that's taxed differently. There's an additional tax that I would pay on some of these items that I use specific to hunting and fishing uh, that goes back to specific conservation funds. Really? Truly set aside for the purpose of conservation. There's no such thing as a backpacking tax or a you know backcountry skiing tax or a mountain biking tax. So where do those dollars come from that um, you know, support fish and game or something like that? Mm -hmm. um, I am. I'm, I think that you are too. I'm a member of a backcountry hunters and anglers, BHA. Yep, exactly. 
eha.org, mm-hmm. I think. They are a great organization that really helps with awareness and education and legislation too. They have an awesome newsletter every week that talks about the legal issues. And they've got an Idaho chapter um, that talks specifically about the issues that are going on in Idaho and how to take action. One of the coolest things from them is that when there's legislation that is about to be voted on in Congress, like when they were trying to pass the Land Water Conservation Fund and uh, make that funding permanent, as opposed to like a renewal type thing, uh, they sent me an email that says, hey, uh, we would love it if you would uh, contact your representative or your congressperson and ask them to support this. And in fact, we've made it super easy for you by clicking this button and it will pre-populate a letter with your name on it and it'll go directly to them. And I thought, wait, to support this and to contact my representative, I don't have to get on and research who they are. I just click the button that you sent me. Yes. Yeah. Click. What? Back up a little bit. What's the Land and Water Conservation Fund? Oh, you're asking me. I feel like you could probably describe it better, but it is, um, I'm going to botch it because I'm not as educated as I should be, but it is one of the best sources of funding to maintain public lands, access to them. But it goes beyond that. It's um, huge conservation efforts. How do you cre- how do you protect the terrain and the animals that live there? The Land Water Conservation Fund is one of the main sources of revenue to help that. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like a, I was super no, that was great. general, but... Um, there's a website for it yeah. that talks about it. Google it. Um, other organizations that people might want to consider, you already mentioned it once, the Idaho Trails Association. Um, what's great about that is it truly goes right back to Idaho. Um, and they're just straight volunteers. There are a bunch of people that volunteer every year, and they go out there and just clear trail, and they organize themselves to go out in groups, and sometimes they'll go out on, uh, on multi-day trips where they're packing up horses and gear and they've got somebody cooking for you and you spend five, seven days up in the mountains, uh, really clearing some trail, like working hard. What's awesome about that is it's, it's a good way to get involved. You're actually contributing towards the trails that we all love. Uh, and you kind of get a free guide, right? Like you get someone that truly knows what, what, what they're getting into. Uh, they'll give you a gear list and make sure that you're going to show up prepared to, to actually be out there safely and really enjoy the experience. So would you recommend that for someone who's maybe doesn't ha- come from a family that is outdoorsy. They want to get in. They want to, you know, they want to learn. Do you think that's a, a good opportunity for like families or individuals or? Uh, for sure for individuals. I think that for it would probably be beneficial for families too. But when you're trying to find places to go, people are pretty hush-hush and tight-lipped. But they become very generous when they know that you're involved in a common cause. So something like Idaho Trails or Backpacking, uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers or whatever group that it is that you want to be a part of. But when you start participating and actually sacrificing your time to go and clear trail, that's like a currency of trust with other people that they're all of a sudden become willing to share their spots with you or their stories. Um, And that's a great way to gain access. I hate to, to make it sound like you're being, you know, service-minded for um, selfish reasons, but I don't know. I think that that's the way that you gain trust and have pe- people share. Well, I'll take a lot it of services get it. for yeah. community. I mean, there's something about, and again, this owner mentality. When you when you put the work in and you're clearing trail, you're not leaving a, you're not leaving anything behind. But yeah. the community behind that kind of service is invaluable. I think. Yeah. And most trails that they are clearing are trails that aren't uh, that aren't trafficked very often. So you might see some uh, less known places. Yeah, some really cool places. Yeah. Um, actually, the Idaho Trails Association website has some really helpful uh, tips and information on there of good places to start out. You know, initial you know get get your foot in the water hikes. Um, they have some like board and staff picks, like top ten places that their their staff really wants to hike. Um, trail tools, backpacking essentials. They, they have a really good website. Um, another one, Ridge to Rivers is a really good one here locally um, for all the local trail systems that we have right in our backyard here. Awesome. Awesome. Um, what are some other tools that you and I use fairly often whenever we're scouting places out? The more common ones that people might not think of. Google Earth. Man, I cannot believe how much information is available on Google Earth and how good the quality of some of these images are. If I could be a bird, uh, I'd be a bird, but I can't be a bird, so I have Google Earth. Mm. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Deep thoughts. <laughs> that. <laughs> Google's going to coin that. Um, another thing that I love is Idaho Fish and Game. They have a great website, um, especially when you go to their hunt planner. 
talk about a resource for trails and access. Um, there are uh, several websites out there, but Idaho Fishing Game, they've really put a lot of work into uh, trying to get these resources in an accessible spot. Yeah, yeah, their interactive map center is awesome. Yeah. Um, all right, where do we talk about next? Um, let's talk a little bit about time. Um, when you do start finding a passion for something like this, and it's easy to um, uh, lose yourself in it, I think uh, we mentioned a little bit about time. Uh, when you do start spending more time out there, it's it's led me, and you've hinted that it's led you to some difficult conversations with your, your spouse. Yeah, I'm a <laughs> lucky guy. <laughs> I uh, I know that it feels like at my house that I disappear for three months a year. Uh, maybe there's some reality to that. Um, I do. I spend a lot of time in the mountains. Um, yeah. How do you make the case to your spouse? Um, and I ask this because uh, I am always trying to make the case too. But what's the why? Why is it important for you to spend so much time out there, uh, oftentimes away from your family because you're going by yourself or with friends, but you're usually not taking your kids to some of these places. Not yet because your kids, like my kids, are fairly young. Um, how do you make the case for the why? I don't know that I could give that a really good answer. If someone's looking for help, um, I, I can't just give you the golden answer. Um, like I said, my, my wife has a lot of patience for my, my activities and interests. Um, why is it important to you then? There's, there's no replacement for my time in the mountains. Um, there's just something about feeling so small and in an environment that's can be so harsh and it's so beautiful. Um, there, there's no way for me to recharge the energy that I get from the mountains, from, from experiencing the weather and, um, you know, going back to that primitive nature, right. Of you, you are nothing to nature. Nature doesn't care if you go back home, right? I mean, it, it can be a truly harsh environment and there's something about that. That's just invigorating to me to think like, I've, I really have to take care of myself out here and make good decisions. Um, but what I stand to get from it, you know, the, the sights and the scenery and the memories that I get, they'll get me through the rest of the year somehow. Mm. For me, I think that one of the things is personal empowerment. I feel like civilization has wrapped us in this cozy blanket um, of comfort that has made us forget the reality um, that the world is hard and cold and it's hard to live. Um, and something about working in this urban environment um, I think that as I got closer into my mid thirties and my, uh, getting up towards 40 and now into my forties, there was something that was kind of scratching to get out that I didn't even have words to, um, to put to it as far as why I just felt discontent. And I think that a lot of people feel this, uh, particularly men, but, um, working in this office environment day in and day out and, uh, moving in the cities, when you go out into the mountains and you're confronted with the reality that the world is hard and that this is a place where you could literally die if you didn't uh, pay close attention. But when you can do that, there is such a sense of personal empowerment and strength that I couldn't find that in urban America. There's something about being out there and testing myself against the mountains that made me feel better about who I was. And I came back stronger. I came back better. I came back more productive and more willing to work hard to accomplish goals. Yeah, I think, and you know, living in a, a civilized society, there's there's rules we have to follow. I mean, that's for the benefit of everyone else. But I'm a man, and I kind of like to do what I want to do um, and, and feel that adventure, right? And just, like you said, test yourself. I want to know that I'm capable out here in the mountains. You know, in, in society, yeah, I've got this truck, and I've got a phone, and I've got all these things that make my life easy, and they're great. I mean, it, it allows us to be more productive, right? But in the mountains, everything's hard. It's one step at a time. And everything seems like it's trying to kill you or take <laughs> from you. Uh, and there's just something exciting about that. That You know, when you get back from that and you feel like you got beat up and your legs are sore and, you know, your skin's chapped. Like, just coming back from that, you, you know, you think, man, I did something cool. Oh, man. I went up, um, I think that it was last year. There's something about this idea of going beyond your limits that really makes you realize how much you're capable of doing. You've told me these amazing stories of what you've been able to accomplish, but 
I've had these similar experiences too. I went up in unit 39 a couple years back and I hiked in five miles and then I, um, I ascended this summit and I watched the animals for all day. It was awesome. I spent hours there. And when I started coming back, I got myself into some trouble and I fell into uh, this little, um, what's the terminology into this draw. Mm -hmm. And it was so full of this thick brush and (laughs) I lost a trekking pole trying to get out of it. And this is the last time that I went out, I think without a GPS. Um, that was the final kicker that I thought I need to get it. But when I finally got down off of, um, the mountain back down to my camp, then I had to pack up and then I had to hike five miles back out. And I remember just starting right after I finished packing up camp thinking, I do not know how I'm going to make it out five miles. So I better just not think about it. Just start walking. And I walked and I walked and I walked a mile and I thought, I don't know that I can make it. And then I walked another mile and I thought, I don't know that I can make it. And it was like that all the way back to the truck. But when I did make it and I got back into that cushy truck and turned it on, I thought, hell yeah, I freaking made it. That's awesome. I can't believe that I made it. But I felt so empowered by that one ex- experience of stretch. I think I think your listeners probably think we're crazy. Um, <laughs> and I, I think it's important to point out um, everyone has to start somewhere. And it's a journey. I think it's a journey worth taking. I think maybe that's probably something that you really have found in the last couple of years is that this isn't something that you're going to master. You're not going to win this game. But each year you can realize improvements. So regardless of where you start this journey into the mountains, right, your first hike, it might only be a half a mile. And that's fine. You'll come away from it with, with some more information and things that you might do differently next time. Before you know it, you're hiking three miles in. Right. And maybe you get off trail a little bit. Maybe you're orienteering a little bit. Um, you know, when I when I first start looking up a mountain that I think I'm going to climb, you know, I looked at on Google Earth and it looks great. Um, you know, it, it looks super intimidating when you get to the bottom of it. You're like, ah, oh, am I really going to go up that thing? That's going to take three days. And 45 minutes later, you're to the top of it and you think, heck, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we didn't start off doing this crazy stuff. Right. We started off doing much smaller hikes. I did at least, um, you know. 10 plus years ago, my first, my first hikes in the mountains were, uh, laughable, you know, compared to what I'm doing now. And there's people that do things that are just insane that I look at and think that guy is crazy. Like I'll never, I'll never be that guy for you to say that they must be genuinely crazy. <laughs> there's some people out there that are just truly amazing. I've been out with you and I think I cannot believe that I'm going out with this guy. <laughs> I don't know that that's warranted, but <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's important for everyone to realize like the, the, not important to compare yourself to others right like we see things on on social media that's just like wow that's amazing and man my experience wasn't like that well yeah but your experience was probably still enjoyable right and next year maybe you'll get a little bit closer to that right and the year after that before you know it like you're the person getting these awesome experiences right you gotta have reasonable expectations sometimes it's just about quieting your mind Mm -hmm. sometimes it's just about to see what the mountains sounds a little high level but to see what the mountains can teach you and um how they can change you and that's not something you're gonna take a picture of and put on instagram that's something that's just for you or sometimes i'm lucky enough that shane shares these journeys with me which is probably one of the reasons why it's more manageable between the two of us is because he's very articulate of what what he's found in the mountains and so we found a way that together we can make that happen for him in a in a way that works for us yeah i feel like i come back i come back better i come back stronger i come back um we talked about about it last time that i went up but i always want to come back like being up in the mountains doesn't make me want to stay in the mountains forever it makes me appreciate my family and spending time with you and uh and the kids and my friendships and uh, sharing these stories with other people that are like-minded and uh, and learning from each other, I come back a better person from the mountains. And it's better than, I don't know, it's just a better time investment, I think, as far as, far as recharging than most other hobbies that I've had in the past. Mm-hmm. That's my why. That's kind of along the lines of our conversation. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, final thoughts and comments. Anything, uh, anything else that you would encourage or challenge people to do in order to protect what's important to all of us? Um, I, I just think there's so much good information on some of the websites we've listed off. You know, go educate yourself. Um, try to understand um, how to 
how to give back it, um, at a bare minimum, how just not to take um, or, or maybe even make it worse. Let's let's try to be responsible stewards of the mountains. That's a great closing point. Um, and then we'll be moving on in, in further podcasts of more specifics. Um, there's so much, obviously, we can talk about with Idaho Outdoors. And this is just a beginning conversation um, and just kind of how we want to structure this. And we'll we'll go, you know, there's so many things we could talk about. We could do a whole podcast on just hot springs and, and why they're a hot topic, why we don't tell you all the places to go. There's a, a lot of things that we'll, we'll go into. Um, so we want to hear back what you want to know. This is just kind of a jumping off. All right. Thanks a lot. Tyler, thanks for coming. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. The Boise Bubble Podcast is sponsored by Volkswagen of Boise. Thank you so much, Volkswagen of Boise, for sponsoring this feature all about the Idaho mountains. And if you're looking for a way to explore, we highly recommend the Atlas Crossport. Thanks for listening. This is the Boise Bubble Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a five-star review. Follow us on Instagram at the Boise Bubble. And for more information about our community, follow at Hello Meridian. See you next time.